Good morning. It is so good to have you out at Central Church of the Nazarene on this kind of chilly uh, February day. It's good to be back with you. I've been gone for the last couple of weeks. In this series, we've been looking so far at, at several women in the Bible, remarkable women. We started with Eve and talked about Sarah and Hagar and, and Leah and Rachel and Shifra and Pua and Ruth and Naomi. And last week, Pastor Tyler preached on Esther, all Old Testament ladies. And today, we're going to be flipping into the New Testament. Now, if you've ever flipped from the last page of Malachi to the first page of Matthew, the last page of the Old Testament to the first page of the New Testament, what you've done in that split-second flip of a page is turned over 400 years. It'd be like, similarly, you know, it was 400 years ago, the pilgrims hadn't even set sail. They would do that in 1620. So there's been a lot of changes in America in these last 400 years. And so, as you might imagine, there were plenty of changes in the Holy Land, in Israel, during those 400 years when you flip from Malachi to Matthew. Uh, Elizabeth is our Wonder Woman for the day. That's what we're going to talk about. She was a priest's wife. Now, I'm kind of particular to pastor's wives. Um, I've, I've, I, I know one very, very well, and I'm kind of uh, 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 close to her. You know, Carla, I get in trouble when I talk about her, and so I'm not going to talk about her today other than to say she keeps me straight, she keeps me in line. I, I, you know, I don't know that I would survive. I'd only eat Cocoa Puffs if she wasn't around, and so I'm glad for Carla in many, many ways. Her cooking, the least of that, I mean, she's a wonderful cook, but, you know, I, she helps me in many, many ways. That's Elizabeth, priest's wife. Sounds like pretty. Then we found the, the second thing. The second thing is not, not all that good news. The Bible says that she was childless. Four horrible words, but they were childless. Now, that can be a source of pain and brokenness in our society, in our culture. That was certainly true in the first century. And for those of us who've had children and haven't had problems conceiving, uh, uh, that's, you know, I don't know that we totally understand those that can't or, or for whatever reason are unable to have children. You know, we're, we're still, our kids have been married. We were with uh, our kids this week, and Alex and Blair will be married five years. I can't believe years in May, and they still don't have any kids, and I want to smack them, you know, because we're ready for grandkids, but they're ready to keep paying off on their school bills and all the rest. And so, you know, they're fiscally responsible, but they're not taking into account two people that want to be grandparents, but that's a whole other story. But I don't know that we can totally understand those who, who not because of their choice, but because of life circumstances, they're unable to conceive. And we can, we can kind of understand it in our head, but we can't totally understand it until we walked in those shoes. And if that is you if, you, you, if you find yourself in that situation, please know that you are not alone, and the Lord hears your, your tears and your broken heart, and the Lord, Lord will come alongside you as you journey those days. What made it rough for Zechariah and Elizabeth was it in the first century... They were working kind of like with an old wives' tale type of religion. And the old wives' tale type of religion said that if you didn't have children, it wasn't because of a medical reason. It was because of a sin reason. And somebody sinned. Maybe it was Zechariah. Maybe it was Elizabeth. Maybe it was somebody else. But somebody sinned. The only reason that you wouldn't have kids is because somewhere, some way, somehow, somebody sinned. And that's what Zechariah and Elizabeth had to deal with. So imagine that, if you would. The stares, how people looked at them, 
the condemning words in a highly charged religious environment. He's a priest for crying out loud. It's very easy for people to become self-righteous and judgmental. It's very easy, Jesus said, to see the splinter in somebody else's eye and miss the log in your own eye. Zechariah and Elizabeth in that first century uh, 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 highly charged religious environment would have been considered deep, dark sinners. Now, that's not just bad theology. That's dumb theology. You thought fake news was just a, a recent phenomenon. That's going on here. There's no truth whatsoever in, in that, that, that they were deep, dark sinners. And we get a glimpse, though, of how heavy this weight was upon Elizabeth when she goes to describe what happens when she finds out she's, she's going to have a baby. If you don't know the story, spoiler alert, she's going to have a baby. It's John the Baptist. It's a really big deal. But, but this is how she describes that time before having a baby. She says this in verse 25, the Lord has done this for me, has allowed her to, to be expecting. The Lord has done this for me. In these days, he has shown his favor and taken away my disgrace among the people. That's how she, she described it. She didn't say, the Lord has done this for me and now I'm going to be a mother and I can't wait. It's just such a joy. She says, he's taken away my disgrace. That's the first thing that, that came off of her lips. He's taken away my disgrace. It shouldn't have been that way. We don't, we don't treat those who, who, who can't have children as if it's a disgrace. We don't look at them and say, oh my goodness, they're a murderer. They must be a murderer. But that's what it was like for, for, for Elizabeth in the first century. Now, again, even in this series, we've already looked at like folks like, like Sarah. Remember, Sarah was 90 when she had, had her baby. No one said that she was, was terribly sinful. We didn't talk about Hannah, Samuel's mother. Again, she had infertility issues before Samuel was born. No one said, oh, that she was, she was terribly, terribly sinful. So I don't know if the folks in, in, in Elizabeth's hometown just didn't read the Bible or if just, they just ignored some of those stories, whatever it was. But they looked at Sarah, or they looked at Elizabeth and Zechariah and said, you're sinners. You're deep, dark sinners. Don't you love it when people stick their nose in your business when they don't know what's going on? And poor Elizabeth and Zechariah had to deal with that gossip, 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 and the rumor mongers. Two people who the Bible describes as blameless. We're going to get to that in a second. And yet... Yet, even though the Bible calls them blameless, they were still hard, held in low regard, describing her life as her disgrace. Probably the townspeople in their town need to learn that little preschool song that we teach our kids, you know, oh, be careful little tongue what you say. God hates gossip, always has, always will. That was true then, that's true today. Third, third thing that we know about, about Elizabeth, she was a priest's wife that couldn't have babies. She was old. And when God's holy word says you're old, you're old, my friend. I don't know how old she was. You know, the Bible has Methuselah, 969. That's old, old, old. I don't think she was Methuselah old, but however old she was, she was old. And again, all that does is, is reiterate how long this has been going on. Well past the childbearing years, she's old. She shouldn't be having kids anymore. She's old. What kind of sinner must they have been? And no doubt... For Zechariah and Elizabeth, it, it crossed a point at some point, you'd think, well, okay, it's just not going to happen. I've been with folks who, who have had uh, fertility issues, and they come to a point often when they think, all right, you know, it's just not going to happen. 
even with all of our modern science, sometimes they come to that point and say, well, it's just not going to happen. And so it's not hard for me to imagine that that's what happened with Zechariah and Elizabeth. A few weeks ago, um, well, at the beginning of the winter, I, I got out my snowblower. I think I even have a picture of my snowblower. There it is. It's coming up. It's coming up. Maybe it's not. There it is. That's my beautiful snowblower. My snowblower, I've had that thing forever. It is old. Not Elizabeth old, but it is old. I've had it around forever and ever and ever. I remember when I got it, my friend Scott Salo used to work at Home Depot on on Center Road, and he drove when I was pastoring at Richfield, and he came in the summer, said, hey, we got these two snowblowers. We couldn't get rid of them, and so I've got them really, really cheap. Do you want one? Yes, I do, and so I had it all through my time at Richfield. When we moved to Kansas City, we moved to Kansas City on the hottest day of the year. It was like 110 degrees, and the guys were unloading the truck, and the one guy handed me the snowblower. Sweat is dripping off of him, and he says, man, you're never going to need to use this thing here. Little did he know, our, my boys used that little snowblower and they snowblowed and made so much money from all of our neighbors who didn't realize that it snows one day in Kansas and it's all melted the next day. And so they just, they would go and snowblow and get their money and the next day the snow would be gone and it was great. And so then I brought it here and it's worked, you know, the last four years. But this year, I got it out, ready to go, and I pulled, pulled, it didn't start. I thought, oh, mercy, it's, you know, so the first snow came and I shoveled because my snowblower, she's, you know, she's dead, she's old, she's dead, 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 old, dead, old. And so then we were supposed to get that snowmageddon like a few weeks ago, remember? It was supposed to hit on Monday. And so on Saturday, I went out to the garage and said, I can do this. And so I took the whole thing apart and I am not a mechanic. I am not handy. The only good thing I can say about that whole experiment was I took it all apart. I put it all back together. It still didn't start, but I had two extra screws. I don't know. I don't know where those went, but I had them. And it still wouldn't start. It still wouldn't start. And then Snowmageddon hit, you know, three weeks ago. And so Snowmageddon came, and I'm walking out. I grabbed my shovel. And just before I start shoveling, I just prayed a quick little prayer. Lord, would you make that snowblower start? It hadn't started all year. Would you let that snowblower start? And so I pulled it, nothing, pulled it, nothing, pulled it, nothing, pulled it, nothing, pulled it. Vroom! It started! Jesus healed my snowblower! I was so happy and thankful. Why did I tell you this stupid story? I think Elizabeth and Zechariah got to the point where they just said, it's, it's, it's too late. I'm too old. Zachariah, we're not going to have kids. This is, this is just the way, this is our, our lot. And then even though we want kids, more than anything we want kids, we're not going to have kids. The good news is, is that, that God wasn't done with them. And if you hear anything else today, hear this, God's not done with you. I think if this story tells us anything, it tells us that God's not done. Don't count God, God out in your life. Because the fourth thing we can know about Elizabeth, not only was she a priest's wife, they were unable to conceive. She was very, very old. The Bible tells us really everything we need to know about her. She was righteous. And the bottom line is, after living years and years and years with that disgrace and dealing with the gossip and the whispers behind their back and the rejection and the loneliness and everything that comes along with that, in verse 6 tells us this, both of them were righteous in the sight of God observing all the Lord's commands and decrees blamelessly. That word blamelessly can mean perfectly. They were perfectly following the will and the way of the Lord as best as they could. They were perfectly following. But hear this. 
even though they were perfectly following God's will and God's way. They didn't have a perfect life. In the townspeople were still gossiping. And, 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 and they were having plenty of heartache, wanting kids, not being able to have kids. It wasn't, it, it, it wasn't easy. I think sometimes in our mind we think, all right, if I'm following Jesus, my life should be easy. But I've quoted that verse to you plenty of times where Jesus said, in this world you will have trouble. Don't be shocked when life isn't easy, even when you're following me, even when you're following me like Zechariah and Elizabeth, perfectly. They were doing everything perfectly. And yet they were still dealing with the junk and the gossip and the whispers and people who thought they were friends, not their friends, all the rest. And in the midst of all of that, maybe at their lowest point, I don't know, maybe after the point where they said, oh, all right, it's just too late for us. God, through the angel Gabriel, after 400 years of silence, broke into their situation, and in so many words said, Zechariah, Elizabeth, I'm not done yet. You see, God knows your heartache. God knows your situation. And where Elizabeth put it, God knows your disgrace. He says, I see you. I see what's going on. I know what's in your heart. And God gave Zechariah and Elizabeth that baby. And I told you, John the Baptist was the baby, and he was going to be the one that was going to lead the way for Jesus And after little Johnny was born, his dad's lips were loosened. I didn't tell you that part of the story. Zechariah, when the angel came uh, to Zechariah, told him that Elizabeth was going to have a baby. He so thought that she was that old dead snowblower. He said, no way. It can't start. And the angel, don't disagree with an angel. That's the one lesson you learn from this. And the angel said, all right, no talking for you (laughs) until the baby's born and you name him John. So the baby was born, named him John. And his, loose, his lips were loosened, and he began to speak. After those nine months, he began to speak, and he began to praise the Lord, and he was filled with the Holy Spirit, the Bible says. And the Bible says he prophesied. Again, after 400 years, no prophecies, until Zechariah. And what does Zechariah say? Praise be to the Lord, the God of Israel, because he has come to his people and redeemed them. He has raised up a horn of salvation for us in the house of a servant, David. God is at work is what Zechariah was saying. God is on, on the throne. God is working. God is alive. He's on the move. See, Elizabeth's story is a wonderful story. It's good news for those who are discouraged, for those who are lonely or suffering, for those who are brokenhearted, poor in spirit, for those who have lost a loved one or maybe lost their way or lost some hope, who maybe they've lost a part of themselves. It's good news for those who who maybe the rest of the world doesn't understand, or maybe they've been an object of gossip, or maybe they've been discouraged and defeated for one reason or another, or the troubles have decimated their lives and they're full of worries, or they're feeling that that, that no one totally understands. See, Elizabeth's story is good news. This is not the way Zechariah and Elizabeth would have scripted out their life. No doubt when they were young teenagers and thinking of, of getting marriage as their families came together, they thought that they would, you know, he would be a priest and she would be the priest's wife and they would have a few kids and probably at this point in their life, they would have grandkids, maybe even great-grandkids. That's what they thought would happen. That's how they scripted it out. But it didn't work out that way. Why? Well, God had plans, bigger plans for them. And maybe your life isn't going to script either. And could it be that God has plans, bigger plans for you? 
See, the whole time, during that whole time prior to that, in those years of disgrace that she called, as people were gossiping and questioning and worrying and all of those things, and yet her and Zechariah were living blamelessly, perfectly, if you will. God had bigger plans for them all along. They just, they just didn't know it. Could that be true for you? Could it be that God has plans for you and maybe you, you, you don't see it now? You've got so much junk going on in your life. You're dealing with so many issues. See, Zechariah and Elizabeth show us that you can, you can be doing everything right and still have life messed up. You can be, you can be living exactly the way the Lord wants you to and doing your very, very best and still sometimes have a curveball thrown at you. It doesn't mean that you're a bad person. It doesn't mean you're a bad Christian. It doesn't mean anything like that. It just means sometimes life happens. And can I tell you that God has plans for you? Big plans. Maybe you don't see it. Just hang in there. Now, obviously, for Zechariah and Elizabeth, the plans were they were going to have the forerunner to, to, to Jesus, John the Baptist. That's not going to happen for you. There's only one John the Baptist. But God's not done with you. If you're living and breathing, God's not done with you. And no matter where you've been or what you've done, no matter your disappointments or your worries or your fears or your griefs, don't, this has been a common theme throughout this series. Don't let your, your biggest mistake, your, your worst moment in your life define you. God has bigger plans for you. See, the truth of the matter is, our enemy, the old devil, he wants to destroy you and your home. He wants to destroy this church. It's plain and simple. And and I don't think it's a big stretch to think that through those many, many years of disappointment and living in that disgrace, that our enemy hopped on Elizabeth's shoulder and said, listen, if you were so righteous, you'd have a baby. If you were doing, somebody did something wrong because you don't have a baby. Look at you, Elizabeth. God sold you a bill of goods. You're trying to live for him, and what did it get you? Nothing. Your bassinet is still empty. That nursery doesn't have a little kid in it. You're not going to kindergarten roundup. You've been sold a bill of goods, Elizabeth. Listen, if it can happen to her, it can happen to you. But God is greater than any foe. And, and, And we can trust him. And even when we don't see God working, that doesn't mean that God's not working. And the Bible tells us that we can know that the devil schemes and we can stand uh, up when he attacks. And that when we submit to the Lord and we draw close to God, greater is he that's in us than he that's in the world. And we can know this, that he always wins every single time. So Satan will attack. And he loves to attack the weak. He loves to attack those that are, that, are, that are not getting enough sleep or not eating properly or they're fatigued or they're worried or they're, or they're stressed out or they're overworked. That, he loves to attack those folks. But hear me, God is able. Elizabeth and Zechariah's story tells us that God is able. God is able to work in great and powerful and wonderful ways. He specializes in going to folks like Zechariah and Elizabeth, those folks who are determined that they're going to say yes to God and they're going to live for him even when all these other things are going wrong in their life. They're going to say yes to God. And even when, when, when trouble comes, they're going to say yes to God. And God specializes in those folks because he knows he's going to win in the end. God has plans big plans for you. And maybe it's best illustrated in the story when, when Mary came to, to Elizabeth. Remember the story, the angel went to, to, to Elizabeth and Zechariah first, but then went to Mary. 
And remember, kind of in Luke chapter 1, the angel shows up at Mary's door and says, don't be afraid, Mary. You know, you found favor with God. And she was instantly afraid at that and tells her that she's going to have a baby, that the Holy Spirit has overcome her. And she says, how can this be? I'm a virgin. And the angel says, well, the Holy Spirit's come upon you. And the one who's going to be born for you will be, the, 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 will be called the son of God. And then the angel says this, verse 36, even Elizabeth, probably the, the angel could have said, even old, worn out, like that snowblower, Elizabeth, she's six months along. She's going to have a baby. And with hearing those words, because if Mary is thinking, no way, could Elizabeth ever have a baby? Hearing those words, Mary's response, I'm the Lord's servant. May your word be to me fulfilled. And then the Bible goes on to say, at that time, Mary got ready and hurried to the town in the hill country of Judea, where she entered Zechariah's home and greeted Elizabeth. She took off. Some versions say she hastily left. As soon as she got the word from the angel that she's expecting, what does she do? She doesn't pass code, doesn't collect $200. She goes straight to Elizabeth and Zechariah's house. I thought that was just a quick little jaunt. It was, they lived in a town called Incarum, most people think. That's kind of a suburb of, of Jerusalem, probably 90 miles from, from Nazareth. It wasn't a hop, skip, and a jump, but she got there. And once she was there, she walks in the house. And the Bible says this in verse 41, When Elizabeth heard Mary's greeting, the baby, little John the Baptist, the baby leaped in her womb. And Elizabeth was filled with the Holy Spirit. And in a loud voice, she exclaimed, blessed are you among women and blessed is the child you will bear. But why am I so favored that the mother of my Lord should come to me? As soon as the sound of your greeting reached my ears, the baby in my womb, little Johnny Baptist, leap for joy because she is who has believed that the Lord would fulfill his promises to her. So little Johnny Baptist, still in his mama's womb, little Johnny Baptist heard that little unborn Jesus in Mary's tummy was in the house and what happened little Johnny does a backflip as much as a backflip a baby can do while in the mother's womb what's the big deal I the first one to rejoice over Jesus was John the Baptist and I think what that did for Mary and Elizabeth if there was any doubts I don't think there's any doubts in Elizabeth's mind after six months there's any doubts they were probably chased right away god knows exactly what he's doing others may not see it others might be gossiping and wagging their tongues about it but god is up to something god is up to something big and can i tell you that is true not only for them that is true for you and for Mary and Elizabeth, the confirmation came as John the Baptist was doing his aerobics in Elizabeth Maybe for you, the confirmation comes when you hear a sermon like this, or maybe when you hear a song sung, or maybe when you're in the word, or a godly Christian friend tells you and talks to you about your circumstances. Here's what I want you to know. God has plans for you. Maybe maybe you don't even see it yet. Maybe you're like Zachariah and Elizabeth, and you don't have a clue. Maybe you do know, though. Maybe God's been speaking to you about some ministry or some circumstance and God's calling out to you and you've yet to say yes to him. Or maybe, maybe, maybe you're just curious. You're, you're just kind of sticking your toes in this faith thing and you're not sure. Can I just encourage you just to say yes to the Lord? Just to say yes. See where Jesus takes you. You know, what do you got to lose? You've, you've made it this far without him and it hasn't gotten you great places. You stick your toes in. 
you say yes to Jesus, he's not going to disappoint you. We pray, Lord, that you would help us to keep our eyes fixed on you and nothing to the left, nothing to the right, but only Jesus and see you work in great and wonderful ways. Help us to leave here with a song in our heart and a a praise on our lips. Bless the Lord, O my soul. What a wonderful Lord we serve. Thank you, Lord, for what you're doing. Bring us back tonight for the chili supper. Give us a great week ahead. In Jesus' name, amen.